Let's pray together. Father, without your enablement, we cannot grasp spiritual truth. Without your spirit opening up our eyes and our ears and our souls, Father, we are at a loss. And so we depend on you this morning and we ask for your help. We pray, Father, that we would grasp these truths and not only understand them, but live them out. And Lord, I pray that I might be the servant you've called me to be. I pray, Lord God, that you would empower me and enable me. I ask for your hand of blessing and favor. I pray for just a liberty, just to, just to preach by your Spirit's leading. And may your, your people and those who need to know you, as we leave this place, may we just say that it was good to be in the house of God. And so feed our hungry souls and fill them full, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is called the property laws according to a toddler. It goes something like this. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. And if it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If, if, uh, if it looks uh, just like it's mine, it is mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. And if you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> Anyone who has ever had a little kid or worked with little kids or been around little kids have seen these laws put into action, have we not? Little kids uh, tend to be extremely selfish little boogers. By the way, big kids can be pretty selfish too. And uh, not only that, but God's kids aren't much better at times. Selfish is defined as lacking consideration for others, concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. Selfishness is inherent in every single one of us. It comes with our warped, depraved sin natures, and it gets in the way of a lot of good that God wants to do. There's a song called In the Light by DC Talk. They put it this way, the disease of self runs through my blood. It's a cancer fatal to my soul. Every attempt on my behalf has failed to bring this sickness under control. Tell me what's going on inside of me. I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicions. If you know it, say it with me, that I'm still a man in need of a savior. Sometimes we see selfishness in ourselves, and it's pretty ugly, and it's downright disappointing. Uh, other times we hear ourselves say something very selfish, and it's pretty scary. But sometimes we completely miss it. We don't see the selfishness, but the others around us see it. And we end up hurting people, especially those closest to us. All of us need help in overcoming selfishness, and that's what we're going to learn today. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. If you have your Bible, chapter 20 of the book of Matthew, and today we finish up our series, Jesus Said What? And we're going to look at some radical things that the Lord had to say. By way of context, we're going to start in verse 17, Matthew, chapter 20, verse 17. 
As Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. On the way, he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he'll be raised up. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down, making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. How do you overcome selfishness? First, stop ignoring the needs of others. Say it with me. Stop ignoring the needs of others. They have just heard what Jesus said about his impending death and scourging and mocking and crucifixion. And how do they respond? Do they respond with a question? Are you sure of this, Lord? Do they respond seeking his protection? How can we prevent this and protect you? Uh, do, they, do they respond with empathy, saying, what can we do for you? How can we help you? No, this is how they respond to the impending death and scourging and mocking and crucifixion of the Lord. Hey, can you do us a favor? Hey, listen, can you do us a favor, Lord? What's in it for me? Talk about poor timing. This isn't a time to ask for favors. This is a time to extend favors. Talk about insensitivity. I mean, they're completely ignoring what the Lord just had to say was going to happen to him. Selfishness blinds us to the needs of those around us, including those closest to us. You and I need to start opening our eyes and seeing the needs of people around us, not just our own needs. And you and I need to start opening up our ears and listening to the hurting people around us. And stop being so selfish and thinking the world revolves around us. How do you overcome selfishness? Well, you've got to stop ignoring the needs of others. Secondly, you've got to stop manipulating to get your own way. That's what this woman and her boys are doing. Verse 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee come with the boys to Jesus. Now, I want you to get this. They're bringing in the heavy hitter. Jesus calls James and John at one point sons of thunder. Let me introduce you to Mrs. Thunder. This is Mrs. Thunder. And she's bringing the heat. And she's bringing the pressure. And the lightning's going to start, Okay. Uh, understand. Now, we don't know if this mom's idea or if the boys put mom up to it, but we have grown men, and mommy is manipulating on their behalf. Listen up, ladies. Let your sons grow up. We, we have too many moms manipulating on behalf of their boys. We have too many moms doing everything for their boys. Too many moms putting their noses in their boys' business. There are too many mama's boys in this world and not enough men. And it's about time we get some men and let moms be moms. Now, you may say, well, and, and by the way, you'll do the world a big favor and you'll do their wife a big favor. You say, well, why mom? Because manipulation is using a connection. So I want you to understand something about this lady. She's called the mother of the sons of Zebedee in the book of Matthew. She's called Salome, her, her name in, in the book of Mark. In John, though, she's called Jesus' mother's sister. So what you have here is Aunt Salome. That's who you have. She is Mary, the mother of Jesus' sister. 
husband. So she has a close relationship with Jesus. And so that entitles her children to the best spots. Listen very carefully, because this is nothing short of selfishness. Just because you have a connection doesn't entitle you to anything. And just because you are related to somebody doesn't entitle you to anything. So stop thinking you can rely on your connections because you know somebody. And stop thinking you can rely on your relation because some of you are there this morning. I should have that job because I'm related to so-and-so. And and I should have that position because I know so-and-so. Don't you dare be so selfish. It doesn't entitle you. How do you overcome selfish? Well, you stop ignoring the needs of others and you stop manipulating to get your own way. And thirdly, you stop seeking positions of prominence. Verse 21, Jesus says to her, what do you wish? She said, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. Now, there are some positives here. They seemingly come in reverence as they bow and they recognize Jesus' authority because he is the one that can command it, they think. And they believe in Jesus' kingdom, command in your kingdom. Uh, so, so, in other words, they believe in his physical earthly reign as the Messiah upon this earth. And they believe in Jesus' literal words concerning actual thrones. Matthew nineteen twenty eight. You shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. We just want the best thrones. Now, there's plenty of negatives, though. Because it's all self-seeking. They're seeking their will, not God's will. We never see him praying about this. They want it their way, not necessarily God's way, and they're seeking their glory, not God's glory. Aren't we the same way? We want our will. We don't care what God's will is. We want our will, and we believe this is right, and this is what we want. And and we want it our way. We don't even think to ask what God wants. And we want it about our glory. How are we going to look, and what are people going to think about us, and how does this work to our advantage? Instead of saying, God, will you be glorified? God, how can you most be glorified? God, will you make sure you are glorified? I mean, the Lord even taught us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, 9 and 10. Pray in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the first thing? Your kingdom come. Your what? Your will be done. That's what we should be seeking. The will of the Lord. Not this lady and her boys. We want the best of the best. We want the right and the left. That's what we want. We want closest proximity to the king. We want to share in his prestige and his power. We want the highest place of honor bestowed upon any man to come to us. And by the way, my boys deserve it. They're the cutest. They're the smartest. They're the best. Isn't that what every mom thinks of their kids? Or at least their grandkids. But anyway. They're not much different than the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and Pharisees, for Jesus would say of them in Matthew 23, 6, they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. We're more deserving than them. That's what they're saying. They're saying we're more deserving than these 10 other disciples. We deserve it more than Peter and Andrew and the rest of the guys. And by the way, we're more deserving, this is what they're saying, We're more deserving than any and every saint in the history of the world or any and every follower of God. We deserve these seats more than Moses, more than Prophet Samuel, 
more than Elijah, more than Elisha, more than Daniel, more than John the Baptist. Talk about arrogance. Scripture's pretty clear. Jeremiah 45.5, say this verse with me. But you, are you seeking great things for yourself? Do not seek them. It's in the context of coming judgment and brevity of life. Do not seek great things for yourself. Jesus would tell his followers in Luke 14, even when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor. He would later in verse 10 say, go recline at the last place. And he would teach them, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. You know what we need? You know what we need in church? We need a lot less diatrophies. 3 John 9. I wrote something to the church, but diatrophies, who what? He just loves to be first. How would you like to forever be inscribed in Scripture as the guy who loves to be first? That's what he was. So it's recorded for all eternity. What would God say about you? What would God say about me? Would he say, yeah, he's the guy that just loves to be first. We need more John the Baptist. John 3.30, he must increase, but I must what? I must decrease. That's what we need more of. How do you overcome selfishness? You stop ignoring and stop manipulating and stop seeking and you stop assuming you know it all. Turn to the person next to him and tell him, you don't know it all. And tell him right back, neither do you. All right, this, all right, this is what Jesus... Oh, you're having way too much fun with this. Okay, look at verse 22. This is what Jesus tells this lady and her boys. You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said, yep. We're able. Verse 23, my cup you shall drink, touche, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give. It is for those who've been prepared by my father. Listen to their, error, their ignorance first. They have no clue what they're asking. They didn't understand there's no crown without a cross. There's no throne without suffering. There's no pain-free position of prominence. You don't get something for nothing. I mean, there's no success without sacrifice. I mean, this exalted position comes with a very high price. And they would learn this. You know when they would learn it? When they would see Jesus not between two thrones, but between two crosses. Listen to their ignorance, and now listen to their utter arrogance. Verse 22. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink? Yep. Oh, what? We are able. They don't have a clue what they're asking. They don't have a clue how they're answering. We are able. They don't understand the pain of this cup and swallowing every last drop. And he addresses it in the plural, so he's speaking directly to the boys. You, James, and you, John. The Lord wants them to know it's going to be very hard. The Lord never wants people to follow him under false pretenses, including you and including me. To follow Christ is hard, and it requires sacrifice. It is hard to follow Jesus. Do not buy into the lies of American Christianity. It takes sacrifice. It takes suffering. It takes giving things up. And it's not about your comfort and my comfort. Understand that. 
And their response, no problem, we got this. You know what? If I was the Lord, I'd have gone off on them. Be thankful I'm not the Lord. (laughs) He's so patient with them, and he's so patient with you, and he's so patient with me. It's unbelievable. I mean, their response is just brash arrogance and bold conceit, and they're so presumptuous. And we're warned in Scripture about the sin of presumption. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. James 4.13, come now you say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a city, and we'll spend a year there and engage in business, and we're going to make a profit. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. I was talking to Pastor Mickey this morning about a fellow pastor of ours we know down in southern Illinois. He preached Wednesday night, went home and died. That's the way I want to go. I just want to tell you. I want to preach my heart out and then just go. I'd rather not be today. But, 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 but the Lord's will be done. So be it. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed this afternoon. Understand it. So utter ignorance, utter arrogance. Now back to utter ignorance. Verse 23. My cup you shall drink. They were ignorant of what was going to happen. Ouch, you're going to suffer. You can count on it. And you may say, well, what happened to James? What happened to John? James would drink the cup of martyrdom. He would be the first execution of the early church. It's recorded in the book of Acts chapter 12. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Most believe he was beheaded on the spot. He drank the cup. John would drink the cup of lonely exile. He would suffer into old age, banished to the island of Patmos. Recorded in Revelation 1.9, John tells us where he is. Patmos is a big barren rock out in the middle of the Mediterranean. Some traditions state that he would be thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil, scarred for the rest of his life as well. There's different suffering for different believers. For some believers like James, the cup is a short, bitter death. For other believers like John, the cup is a daily struggle, day in and day out, heartbreak and tears as we live life as sinners in a very sinful world. A Roman coin was found. It had a picture of an ox on it. And the ox was between two things, an altar and a plow. And the ox has to be ready to either go to the altar of sacrifice or to go to the plow of labor in the field. You and I need to be ready, whether it's the altar of sacrifice or whether it's the daily labor of the plow in the field. They were ignorant of their future. They were ignorant of God's choices. In verse 23, it is not for you. It's for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. Come to the wrong guy. The Father's already appointed these positions. Listen, that's reserved seating. Who are you? Think about it. I mean, this is set aside for individuals already assigned by my Father. Sometimes people want a position of power and authority they're not qualified for. They get their eyes on a position. They get their eyes on some title. They get their eyes on some office. They're not qualified for it. Sometimes they're not ready for it. It's reserved for somebody else. 
I want to encourage you to get your eyes off that position. Get your eyes off that job. Get your eyes off that office. And get your eyes on Jesus. Stop consuming yourself with coveting something that is not yours. And it may never be yours. And that's okay. And get your eyes on the Lord and follow Him. How do you overcome selfishness? You stop ignoring and stop manipulating and stop seeking and stop assuming and stop comparing and competing with others. Stop it. Look at verse 24. Hearing this, the ten become indignant with the other two brothers. So they've heard this. Now that's pretty bad right there. Pretty insensitive on behalf of the two guys. And now, now, whether they spoke verbally right in front of everybody else or whether mom was a dead giveaway. The other ten find out about this and they're pretty upset and they're pretty uptight and probably most importantly why they're so mad is they hadn't thought of it first. It's probably the main reason. Or, or, or they're mad because James and John think they're better than us and they're not better than us. We're better than them. Or maybe they're, they're jealous because they think Jesus might just actually grant it to them. Selfishness always brings dissension and division and disunity to a group. It always does. Whether it's on a team, whether it's in a church, whether it's at work, selfishness always brings dissension and division and disunity. And these guys have been struggling for a long time with this competitive spirit among them. While they were traveling to Capernaum in Mark chapter 9, we read, They're in the house, and he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had discussed with one another which of them was what? Which of us is the greatest? Can you imagine these guys are walking, and they're talking about, I'm better than you. No, you're not. I did this. What did you do? Well, the Lord used me, and the Lord sent me over there. I'm greater than you. We say, that's crazy. Well, you know what? It continued at the Last Supper. Luke twenty two twenty four. there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be what? Greatest. So even at the Last Supper, when Jesus is about washing feet, they're arguing with one another, who's better? Earlier in the book of Matthew, in chapter 18, 1, disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So this is constantly on their mind, comparing to one another, competing to one another. Who is the greatest? I'm better than you. I'm the greatest. We have a word in scripture about comparing. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. For we are not bold to, compla- to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are stupid, dumb, they're foolish, they are without understanding. So when we compare ourselves with others, they have a bigger office than I do. That's pretty stupid. When we compare ourselves with others, why do they have that job and why was I looked over for promotion? That's pretty stupid. Well, who got better grades? And whose position on the team is more important? And, and who has the nicer house in the nicer neighborhood? And what car do you drive? Because I drive this car. It only has this many miles on it. 
And I shop and I get my clothes at this store. Where do you get your clothes? Can you believe she wears that? Oh, did you see their hair? Well, I had my hair done. You like my hair? (laughs) You know what God says? It's stupid. You're without understanding. You are foolish when you start comparing to yourself to other people and how they live and what they drive and the job they have and the clothes they wear and the grades they have and the position they have. He says it's just stupid. Listen to James chapter 3, 14. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. He says don't lie to yourself. I'm going to tell you what it is. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. It is earthly, natural, what? From the gates, from the pit of hell itself. It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. That's what selfishness brings. It brings disorder. It brings disaster. It brings evil is what it brings. Stop ignoring, stop manipulating, stop seeking, stop assuming, stop comparing, stop reminding everyone you're the boss. Stop reminding everybody you're the boss. Stop flexing your muscle and throwing your weight around and letting everybody know who's in charge around here. Jesus has had enough. He calls them to himself in verse 25. He says, time out, time out, guys. We got to have a meeting. Parents, you know what this is like. You get the kids together, they've been bickering and arguing, you say, whoa, everybody in the family room, everybody, we, we got to work through this. So that's what Jesus is doing. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. He's saying, stop acting like the world. The world likes to remind people who's in charge. That's what the world likes to do. He says, the rulers of the Gentiles, the Jews were well aware. Um, they understood this. They saw the Roman power of dominance, and they, were, they understood dictators and pharaohs and Caesars. And in our own society, it can, it can include political leaders, CEOs of corporations, presidents of schools or banks or countries or bosses at work, rulers. They lord it over them. They, they dominate and they threaten and they put the hammer down flex their muscle. The world likes to assert its authority. It says their great men exercise authority over them. They're great men. Those more charismatic in nature, they rely on their popularity and their personality and they flatter and they charm and may they manipulate with their power to get more power. And they exercise this authority to put people in their place, putting others down and raising themselves up. He says, don't be like that. He says, don't act like that. So how do you overcome the selfishness? You stop ignoring and stop manipulating and stop seeking and stop assuming and stop comparing and stop reminding. And, but you've got to start doing something. You need to start radically serving like Jesus. Selfishness can only be overcome by service. Say it with me. Selfishness can only be overcome by service. Look at verse 26. It is not this way among you. Be different from the world. 
Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He says, I want to teach you about true greatness. Greatness is not about title, not about position. Greatness is not about your academic achievements or IQ. Greatness is not your athletic achievement or goals or trophies. Greatness is not financial wealth and homes and cars and possessions. Greatness is not superior physical attractiveness or health. That has nothing to do with greatness. God says none of these things mean greatness. Greatness, he says, is service. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. The word is diakonos. It's the same word we get our word deacon from. It's just a common term to be a servant, to be a deacon. It's a person who does menial labor, diakonos. It's the lowest level of hired help requiring little or no skill. Little or no skill. It's service. That's all it is. So he's saying to these guys, make your goal serving, not ruling. Make your goal serving, not being in charge. Make your goal serving. Now, as I was studying this passage, timing was amazing. Jonathan Hidalgo, one of our custodial staff, just popped into my office and he said, Pastor Scott, is it okay if I clean your windows on the outside? I just wanted to touch base because if I appear outside your window, I might creep you out. I said, I said, that's fine, Jonathan. So I watched Jonathan scrub my windows, squeegee the windows, take paper towels and wipe the bottom off and go to another window, scrub the window. You know who I was watching? I was watching Jonathan the Great. That's who I was watching, Jonathan the Great. By the way, Jonathan showed up at my house yesterday to bring a cord that I had forgot on my desk for my laptop as well. Jonathan the Great. It's not about commanding others. It's about serving others. Dwight Moody said it this way, the true measure of a man is not the number of servants that he has, but the number of people he serves. That's good. The true measure of a man is not the number of servants that he has, but the number of people he serves. The world is filled with way too many celebrities and not enough servants. And it's about being a servant, not a celebrity. To be great serve. To be first, be a slave. He takes it to even a deeper level in verse 27. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. It's the word doulos. It's stronger than servant. It means you have no rights. You belong to other people. You make yourself the personal property of others. That's how you view yourself. He says that's greatness. Oh, we Americans don't like to give up our rights. We have our rights, and we claim our rights, and we we want everybody to know about our rights. And God says, I don't care about your rights. Because if you want to be great in my eyes, you give up your rights. And you serve individuals. You help people. And you lower yourself. You don't stick your chin out, your nose up in the air. You live like Jesus. Verse 28. 
Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for who? For many. Jesus came to serve, and he sums up his entire life with this simple sentence. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Is that how you would sum up your life? I'm not here to be served, I'm here to serve. That's greatness. Maybe our prayer should be that that is what everybody would think of us and see of us. Servants' hearts. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. Jesus said, I'm here to serve. That's true greatness. And not only that, I'm here to give. To give my life a ransom. It means payment. He paid with his life to free us from sin. He ransomed himself. That's payment. He substituted himself for you. He died on the cross for you. He gave his life for you. This past Friday, June 6th, was D-Day commemorated the Allied forces storming the beaches of Normandy, France, liberating Europe from Nazi occupation, and a great price was paid. Much blood was spilled on that beach. Once you understand, Jesus is not talking about D-Day, but G-Day, Gospel Day. And Jesus stormed the beaches of hell to liberate you from sin's occupation. And he took every single sin fired from all humanity of all ages upon his body and died on that cross, assuming every single bullet of your badness to free you, to liberate you. That's greatness. It's service, and it's slavery, and it's paying a price. He gave his life a ransom for many. He gave his life for you so you could be saved. He gave his life for me so I could be forgiven. That's how you overcome selfishness. You stop ignoring the needs of others and you stop manipulating to get your own way and you stop seeking positions of prominence and you stop assuming that you know it all and you stop comparing and competing with others and you stop reminding everyone that you're the boss and you start radically serving like Jesus. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just talk to the Lord right now, you who know the Lord is your Savior. Confess any sin. What areas of selfishness has God revealed to you in your heart? Ask God's forgiveness and cleansing right now. What needs to change in your life and mine? What commitments need to be made? Maybe it's getting your eyes off of things you've been coveting and getting them back on the Lord. Maybe it's not comparing yourself to others anymore. Just talk to the Lord. You may be here this morning and you need to understand that Jesus gave his life on the cross for you. He's giving you the gift of salvation, but the gift, the gift doesn't mean anything unless you receive it. 
If you're here this morning and you need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, then I would love to lead you in a prayer of salvation. And you may say, Scott, that's me. I need God in my life. I need forgiveness. What do I do? In the quietness of your heart, just call out to God in faith. Just use words like these. Lord Jesus, I am a wicked sinner. And I desperately need your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for paying my ransom. Please save me from my sin. I place my faith in you and you alone. I can't save myself. Forgive me, I pray, Jesus. In your name, amen. If you've called on the Lord this morning, we would love to talk to you about that decision. When you came in, you were handed a bulletin. And if you just open up your bulletin, there's a little perforated section. And you can just write your name in there, mark one of those boxes, and throw that in the offering.